As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's up? Good evening, hello, and welcome back to Spin Rate, the Athletics Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are here talking about your Toronto Blue Jays, fresh off among the finest of all weekends possible, a weekend series victory over the Rays. I was thinking it was Friday, I was working, and I was like, I'm excited, you know, I'm going to watch some Blue Jays baseball. There's no worse feeling than knowing that you are about to embark upon a weekend full of watching the Blue Jays play the Rays at the Trop, it is uh, uniformly a terrible experience. Except when, a few bumps in the road aside, the Blue Jays win two out of three. That's so exciting. It is so exciting. And I am so excited to be joined, as I am every Sunday, by the the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays writer, Caitlin McGrath, the co-host of Spin Rate. Caitlin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's important for me to know how you are. It's Oscar night. I don't know by the time when mm. we're recording this Sunday, most folks hopefully will hear this on my, on Monday. It's, it's Oscar night. They'll know which of the films that won the best picture. I haven't, I don't think I've seen many of them. Uh, I was celebrating Oscar night by watching one of the finest films of its generation, semi-pro before uh, we started to record here this, this evening. Um, a truly, truly spectacular absolutely um what's the word problematic insanely problematic in, in with the benefit of hindsight but um still very good did you uh, do you have do you have any best picture uh, picks any performances this year that you, you were into i'm not even sure that i could name one single movie nominated i have no recent knowledge of movies i don't keep up with that Mm. I'm much more of a TV person if um, I had to choose. And that's been a long running thing for me. I'm sure I went through somewhat of a phase where I enjoyed movies and going to the movies, but I've never been the type of person that would uh, go out of my way to watch all the Oscar movies and and know who should win and and I I'm lucky if I see one or two Oscar nominated um pictures 
a year. <laughs> See, I'm not even I'm not even a person that would call movies pictures, but I'll a do film. it for this. You have films. not you, you have not yet experienced these films. <laughs> I off the top of my head, I can think of a Promising Young Woman that I haven't seen yet, but I would really like to, and uh, Minari, which is the movie with uh, Stephen Stephen Yoon, I think is his name from he's on from The Walking Dead, uh, which is apparently in a beautiful beautiful movie that a lot of people really spoke highly of about like a Korean American Korean families moving to move to America. They're trying to make, make their way. Uh, it's about like the, the grandmother and the, who's, who's, you know, very Korean and, and her grandchild, as I understand it, um, with Stephen Yoon sort of having a foot in both worlds. They're speaking in English at home. They're speaking in Korean at home, but apparently it's a really beautiful uh, story. I'm really excited to see that. Um, I can't think of any of the other ones off the top of my head, but that one is important because it's going to provide our patented segue Mm. Of, a, uh, of a of a Korean man living in North America, going through the trials and tribulations of making his way. And that is, of course, Hyunjin Ryu, who started for the Blue Jays here on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Rays and was mm, cruising. He looked like himself. His velocity was back up a little bit. That's always kind of a bit of a little bit of a barometer of Hyunjin Ryu starts. If he's, if he's sitting 88, 89, mm-hmm. so it can get a little dicey. He was up 90, 91, had the Rays eaten out of the palm of his hand, throwing that change up and then in back inside with the cutter and then the fastball, throwing 90 mile an hour fastballs past, uh, what was his name, Mike Broussard? I want to call him Ben Broussard, but I know that's not right. Throwing these uh, 90 mile an hour fastballs straight past him and then just seemed rather innocuous and then off he goes. Caitlin, I don't know if you were on the the post-game Zoom, but what is the prognosis? What is the word on Hyunjin Ryu's injury. I think I, I can know, but I'll, I'll leave it to you. What, what, what's the word on Hyunjin Ryu's injury? Well, during the game, the Blue Jays tweeted, as they often do, with an injury update, and it was a mild glute strain. Um, and so actually one thing that was a really encouraging sign, uh, initially right off the bat was an encouraging sign, was that Hyunjin Ryu was available after the game. So usually if a starter is injured in a start or he leaves a start early, he won't talk after the game because maybe he's having treatment or he's off getting an MRI or whatever it may be, right? So he and and usually they wouldn't talk either because they don't really know what's up yet and so they don't want to say anything yet. Anyway, so it was initially a really good sign when we got the email that Hunjin Ryu would actually be speaking to us post game. So Essentially, he said that he doesn't feel like it's anything serious, and it. I got the sense that he sort of just felt something wasn't right and was taking the precaution of just leaving the game early, making sure that nothing was wrong. But once he went to the trainer's room, they sort of figured out really wasn't anything serious. Um, pretty immediately, they told Charlie Montoyo, so he wasn't in the dugout, you know, kind of panicking about his dwindling pitching rotation. And basically, Ryu sounded really optimistic. Uh, I asked him if he thought he would be going on the IL. He said he didn't think it was that type of situation to go on the IL. And basically, he said that he'll go out on Monday and he'll get off a mound for like 10 or 15 pitches just to see if he feels okay. So you never know. Like you totally never know with the Blue Jays. You never know with injuries. But the initial sort of prognosis is that it should not put him on the IL. It should be, I don't even know if you would call it day to day. It, it mm-hmm. sounds like he should be making his next start. It sounds like um, it was really just a precautionary measure to to take him out today or Sunday. 
the kind of advantage of having a minor injury uh, uh, or what appears to be a minor injury occurred with a starting pitcher is that you've got time. Mm-hmm. Right, you got time to figure it out. They can get him back in the training room, do some stretching, take a look, and then they can reevaluate tomorrow. Then he can maybe throw, like you said, and then see how he's feeling. I know that there was some internet sleuthing that was going on. Um, uh, Daniel Kim, who covers Korean baseball very carefully, was was describing that this is a, he had a similar injury in 2014 where he missed. I think he just missed one start. I, believe, I think Stoughton um, had dug it up and said that he was on the on the what was then the disabled list and then for 15 days and was came off immediately after for 15 days but more more importantly um it's great to hear that the blue jays seem fine with it um maybe we so what let's go from this topic we can talk about naturally the 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 fallout from this injury on sunday while the season-wide uh, uh, fallout or if there's longer term stuff we can talk about that after Mm-hmm. When we get to the transactions, but right now we can talk about um, another best picture, best picture nominee, Sound of Metal, which I really, really want to see. It's an Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon Prime film, and it's not on Prime in Canada. What the hell, Riz Ahmad, uh, who plays a uh, guy who plays drums in a metal band, and he starts to lose his hearing. He has like a like a degenerative de- degenerative uh, uh, disease or condition where he starts to go deaf. Um, Sound of Metal would be the sound of the Blue Jays' uh, relief core, like unbelievably stepping up and absolutely destroying it. I think about Sound of Metal, BJ Ryan coming out of the bullpen, got Slipknot <laughs> blaring, got the flames coming up on the outfield walls back in the day. That is the Sound of Metal. Blue Jays' bullpen, currently by ERA, best in baseball. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, with, I think, Julian Merriweather has pitched three times. Jordan Romano missed a chunk of time. Um, they've been running through all, you know, Tyler Chatwood was on the, was on the injured list. Um, and yet here they are and they're being asked to do a lot and they're, they're, they're pitching amazing. You know, Caitlin, what's the, is there, is, I don't know if there's one, one player that stands out or just the way that this whole thing is shaken out. What are your kind of, you know, impressions or what's jumps to mind when you think about the first month of the season and this uh, Blue Jays bullpen? Well, what I think about is that I'm not entirely surprised that the bullpen has been good because preseason, it looked like it could be somewhat of a strength for the team. But I will say that that was when we thought Kirby Yates was going to be in the bullpen. And, um, you know, when we look back at like the start of spring training, we were writing about the bullpen and thinking, yeah, this is actually a pretty good group. And then Kirby Yates goes down and then, you know, that's a big arm to lose. And so, I think there was a few question marks about the bullpen um, heading into the season. But as you sort of said in your setup to this, yeah, some guys really stepped up. Um, even though now like a guy like Julian Merriweather is injured for that brief period, he looked lights out. He looked like he could be a, a closer or at least a sort of super high leverage reliever. Um, but, you know, I would say that uh, it's it's been better than – I expected for sure. I don't think that I necessarily would have picked the Blue Jays to be the best bullpen for the first month of the season. I certainly thought they were capable of being in that top half. Um, So definitely been really great. It's also really great because it's not like, I mean, they're they're pitching a lot. So sometimes that helps you with the ERA and sometimes it can hurt you too because you're pitching a lot. So you're out there a lot, but they're really holding their own. In terms of guys that stand out, for me, um, you know, I think that Ryan Barucki has sort of stood out to me in the sense that I, 
I paid it. Att- of course, I paid attention to him last year, and I just think that because he sort of struggled with a bit of a s- strike throwing last year, and he was a little bit wobbly mm-hmm. when it came to walks and stuff like that. He still he had the velocity, and he had the effect. He had the ability to be effective last year. He had all that. Um, working for him, it was just sometimes the walks kind of got in the way for him. So the fact that he's been so sharp this year, throwing a lot of strikes, um, a, crucially also able to throw multiple innings, which he did earlier this week and was able to do um, so flawlessly and then come back a couple days later, pitched really well today. Um, I'll just add, though, I asked this exact question to Charlie today thinking that he would give me a non-answer and say, oh, yeah, I'm impressed with all of them. But he actually narrowed one guy down and um, he said Anthony Castro has impressed him the most. And I think that's because they didn't really know what to expect with Anthony Castro, right? He was a, I, he believed he was a waiver claim in the offseason from the Detroit Tigers. And the Blue Jays have sort of decided that he's going to be a reliever and what they did with him. And he talked to us last week and he um, was actually really detailed and telling us kind of how he's really enjoyed his time with the Blue Jays because they've really just sort of put a lot of trust in him and he feels that trust. And one thing with them is that they've told him, use that slider. We really like that slider. And so he's got the good kind of pairing with a, a, a fastball that kind of naturally cuts and then he's got a slider as well. So um, he's a name that's really stood out for the Blue Jays. It's a... It- it's a lot like the Rays. I think that the Blue Jays are are maybe feel freer to to do that. And I mean, I think there are like there's a downside to what I'm about to say, but you look at what the Rays what the Rays do and what the Blue Jays do. Where if it's like Anthony Castro, you've got a great slider. I think in a more traditional setup, they'd be like, you got you established a fastball, and you can use that slider to put guys away. But now, and I know the Rays do this all the time. It's like you have a good slider, throw it until you can't anymore. Right, throw it as much as you physically can do it. Throw it, and if you can't, if you're not commanding it, obviously move away from it. But throw it first pitch. Throw it when you're behind. Throw it when you're ahead. And and for some of these guys, that really works out. Now the conventional wisdom is that that's going to cause them to break down. But I think, and especially when you think about the Rays, that's kind of like baked into the sauce, right? That's that's the understanding that we'll run these guys as hard as we can, get the most out of them. If they if they can survive and be durable, then they'll they'll get paid but if for the raise it's like use him until he he's he's out, he's done and then they go and they find the next one but i think that the blue jays bullpen is um has been really really strong obviously ryan baraki i think that your your point is a great one i think especially when you watched him you know, this weekend he has a show not just like control in terms of throwing the ball in the strike zone but like really hitting his spots and like throwing effective strikes and putting uh, a very difficult to hit pitch when he's throwing 97 and it's got that arm side uh, uh, run to it, or sorry, a glove side run for him, like coming in on, on right handers and stuff like that. Like that's really, really, really hard to hit. Uh, and, and he's been, he's been great. And, and so he's been really good and he's been so efficient. That's when you've able, you've seen the J stretch him out a little bit. I have, I think it was Friday night. I was all fired up. I had like all these tweets queued up because he threw like nine pitches in the first inning and he had thrown 12 pitches, you know, four days ago and 10 pitches the, in the week. And I was like, I was, they were ready. It looks like they were going to take him out. And I was mad. I was pre-mad. I was like, oh, I'm going to be on the front foot of this one. And they brought him back out because he was so efficient in the first inning. He threw 23 pitches and pitched two innings. It's amazing. And, and it gives, it makes Charlie Montoya, it makes Charlie Montoya's job easy, which is a question I'm going to ask back to you. And, and, 
it's a hard question to answer. It's not really fair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Blue Jays bullpen is pitching tremendously. As we've said, not only are they um, the best ERA, uh, which is a mm, little bronze age, iron age stat, but they are top five in bar- the number of barrels they give up. They're top 10 in average excellent velocity and they're top 10 in, um, in hard hit rate. Like, so they, they are avoiding hard contact. They're not going to strike as many people out as the Yankees, especially without Merriweather and with Romano sort of having still working his way back a little bit, maybe not being like peak, you know, if effectiveness. So they're not going to be like a crazy strikeout bullpen, but they're doing all the things that they need to do. And, you know, they do, they do throw a lot of strikes. We'll be right back with more spin rate. But first, check this out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. How much credit does Charlie Montoyo deserve for the way that he's managing the bullpen versus how much are they making him look like a genius? Um, Like I said, not a fair question. Yeah, I mean, I think that part of why um they've looked really good is that he is putting them a lot of them in spots where they can succeed i think that's probably um helping each of them you know if the if charlie's putting a pitcher in a spot where they'll succeed um taking them out at the right time um the pitchers are going to make him look good and he's going to make them look good so it's kind of a win-win situation for both of them mm. i mean i it I'm losing track of my days and games here, but there's <laughs> there's been a couple in recent uh, in this past week where um, Charlie had to maneuver um, the bullpen a lot. Like they had to cover a lot of innings, and um, that's tough. Like you really have to map it out. And um, was it the Tommy Malone? Yeah, there was a bullpen day earlier this week, right? Where it was Trent mm-hmm. Thornton and Tommy Malone kind of made some of the um, Red Sox hitters look a little bit silly with his like, what was he throwing? Like 76 mile an hour change up. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that, that game, I can't remember the exact order. I think that was also the game. Oops. Uh, I just moved my mic. Um, I think that that was also the game that Ryan Brookie pitched two innings. So anyway, like it all had to be mapped out. And so when Charlie and Pete, um, plan before a game, they, they do kind of map it out, but everything has to go according to plan. Um, and then today, again, um, obviously they actually weren't planning for this to be sort of a bullpen day. They wanted Ryu to pitch like uh, eight or, or seven or eight in these or whatever it may be. That didn't happen. Um, but it also seems like they're sort of 
have a structure now. Like they kind of know when to use guys. Like they haven't, like Chatwood's coming back. He's not quite super high leverage yet, but he's really, he can go those middle innings. You can get him. You can use Tim Meza kind of in shorter stints. Now you have Ryan Barucki who looks like he could be a multi-inning guy. I know Delise can make some people nervous, but he was really effective um, on Sunday. And when he took him six pitches, six pitches to get four outs. That's pretty, that's like the... Uh, opposite of what he usually That's does. Peak, peak Dolis. But <laughs> but I, I think you're right. I, I, I'm looking at it right now in terms of um, on Fangraphs, they have a thing called game leverage, which is the, the, the kind of leverage index uh, moment in which each of these pitchers are introduced into the game. And if you look at it, Merriweather is, is the guy, again, because he's only pinned in so few games and he's been used in the ninth inning, Matt, like the highest uh, average leverage when he enters the game. And then you've got Romano and Dolis are like right there, like the next kind of highest, highest leverage guys. I'm sure that Dolis will actually start to climb up a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if this has been updated as per today's game. And then you've got, and then you've got Phelps and Baraki and Chatwood are all sort of in the same kind of ballpark in terms of when they come in and how the Blue Jays use them. But to me, I think, I think Charlie Montoya deserves credit for kind of having a plan and, and, and being able to, not be afraid to do the things that for a long time managers were afraid to do. He doesn't, he, you know, he's not afraid to, to bring Delise in who is his closer in the eighth inning when he needs him to get a specific big out. He's not afraid to, to make, you know, make moves here and there at the same time. There's a part of me that is like, but when, uh, when he went to get Barucky after Barucky got Kiermaier out here on Sunday, and then it was going to be Yandy Diaz. Now Yandy, Yandy Diaz hits left-handers. Well, but Baraki is cruising, but he still he goes in to get Phelps. Now, whether or not Phelps got him out, I'm still like, I maybe I'm so old school. I was hoping for to be more more new school, but all, at the same time, I'm like, just let Baraki finish the inning. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, what's wrong with that? But it's hard to fault what 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 they've done, even though you know Phelps hit Diaz and but then eventually got out of it. Mm-hmm. But the bullpen has done an amazing job. They they are other than you know a few guys who have had some, you know, the TJ Zoic, whoever else. Um, they're using good pitchers when they need to the most. They're, they, he's kind of got his tears. And the best part about bullpen, bullpen is, I think the bullpen management is different than, than batting order because there's a lot more freedom to sort of like move guys as required. So maybe we'll see Brian Barucki into higher leverage situations when there's less need for him to get those extra outs, get four, five, six outs instead of just getting mm-hmm. three. One so, thing, oh, um, I was going to say one thing that was funny about this past week, you talk about old school, new school and, and Charlie making those decisions, but everyone had a, a good laugh about it after was that, you know, Tim Meza came in in the, it was, I think it was the ninth, right? In Boston. And Tim Meza was like geared up, like, here it is my first MLB save. I'm going to, it's going to happen for me. It's finally going to happen for me. He gets two outs. And then it was, um, was it? That was Castro. And then he went and got Castro. Yeah, for and then he, but it was like JD Martinez, I think, um, mm-hmm. was coming up. And so Charlie's like, all right, we're going to pack Castro in for this. And so it's funny, though, because I think that goes to your point that, like, yeah, some managers, it would be an unpopular thing. Like, you have this lovable guy, Tim Meza. He's come back and he's about to earn his first save, but they wanted the matchup. They wanted Castro in there. It worked out for them. And obviously, the team's happier with the win, but it is kind of funny to, to see Tim Meza get so close to that save. It's one of those things where I think saves are very, saves are antiquated and in a lot of ways arbitrary mm-hmm. stat. The, the issue, I think, becomes for a long time, saves were what got relievers paid. Yeah. So, 
relievers wanted to get saves because they wanted to be able to earn those big arbitration rewards, just like they wanted pit starters wanting to get wins. And then you see them doing stuff like where they, the Rays, for example, when they started uh, Luis Patino here on Sunday, and it, like he, they, he let he faced nine batters, and then that was it, which was crazy because he was cruising. And then whoever Fleming, Brian Fleming, I think the guy's name is, he pitched well too. But but uh, when you're not managing to the stats, it's all it starts to get a little like bit of a gray area in terms of that what are you know making sure that not only guys know what they're being evaluated upon but also knowing how they're going to be compensated for it but it it is it is um it is uh nice to see that again just winning the winning the ball game is the focus yeah and hopefully the players are able to sort of um you know work that out amongst themselves and they Mm -hmm. kind of all get it is my is my hope but, uh, you know, you want because I, I, I think about saves and closers and it's like for the longest time, you know, I, that was the talk beginning of the year. Like can Julie or when after the first outing, like can Julie Merriweather do it? Is he can, be, can he be a, a closer? And it used to be that was like self-evident. Well, he's a closer because he's a closer. He's a closer because he gets saves, even though these guys would come in, walk the ballpark and just sort of cheat it around. It's like, well, no, you know, he throws 99 miles an hour and his changeup is 80. You're like that is what is making closer material, not the fact that he's done it before. So a bit of a mindset change, but this is something that we, we, you and I, I know we said that right from the beginning of the season, this is what it was going to be like. The, the team is going to be managed a little bit differently. It's going to be run not unlike the Rays in terms of the way they manage this, the, the, the bullpen. And uh, so far, so good. Having guys pitch really well makes everybody's job easier. And it probably makes it a lot more fun to be back there. Cause they know that they, whoever, whenever the phone rings, whoever gets, whoever is a, uh, told to get up they know they're going to go get outs and that's a uh, not a bad way to be yeah no that's uh that's been the uh what is a next man up mentality in the bullpen everyone's getting in there to do a job until it t- until it comes time to talk to that arbitrator and you're like yo anthony castro you blew all my saves we're <laughs> enemies now <laughs> let us talk now the bullpen has been doing all this without being a, like a high high strikeout bullpen um, to their credit, also doing it with not always the most impressive or tightest defense behind them. Speaking of defense, one of the uh, pictures nominated for uh, for best film uh, is The Trial of the Chicago 7. I have no interest to watch this movie because, uh, what's his name? Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin. Mm. No. No. Fast, fast talking Aaron Sorkin movies. Like Aaron Sorkin doing Aaron covers of Aaron Sorkin, and uh, I, I, everything I've read about this movie makes it seem like it's a real disaster, real whitewash, and just. But anyway, were you a West Wing guy? God no, hmm. God no. Uh, you know Sorkin's done some things. Don't like that's you can't we can't pretend like Aaron Sorkin's not Aaron Sorkin. Like the script from the Social Network isn't ridiculous, right? Like it's a ridiculously scripted movie, uh, and it all works. So. But uh, after a while, the ticks and like the, anyway, I'm not a big Sorkin guy, but I'm a big defense guy. <laughs> defense has been a thing. Poor Bo Bichette, coming at him from all sides right now. I know yeah. you remember Bo Bichette, who's mm-hmm. kind of, because he's there every day, he's kind of in a, in a way sort of taking, becoming the face of the Blue Jays defensive struggles, um, which is, uh, well, it's not fair. But it's not like it's not like nobody could have seen this coming. We, you and I, been talking about this. I've been banging this drum since last year, like a jerk. 
negative. I saw someone saying that I'm too negative, which I don't want to be negative, but mm. I don't want to, I don't want to say I told you so, but you wrote about this this week. Why, what is going on with Bobby Shet? And is it fair that he's the face of the Blue Jays defensive struggles right now that I, I appointed him just now? <laughs> well, firstly, I think it's interesting that you're saying he's the face of it because everything that I sort of observed from um, Twitter reaction and comments um, of articles I've written, it seems like there's two faces to the defensive struggles and they're both on the left side of the infield. One is Kevin Biggio at third base and one is Bo Bichette at shortstop. So um, I, I think they've s- sort of both kind of worn it, but I will say that I, th- I think that Bo Bichette, um, maybe there is a little bit more attention around his um, defensive trouble because there's an understanding that Kevin Biggio is new to third base. And I don't mm-hmm. know that, I don't know that the um, expectations were super high for Kevin there at third base. People maybe just didn't really know what to expect. So the fact that it's not working out as um, seamlessly as the Blue Jays probably wanted to start the year um, is sort of just people thinking, understanding this is the way it goes. Whereas Bo, you know, he's supposed to be the uh, shortstop for this club. So yeah, I wrote about it this week. um, And essentially, I I guess I'm trying to sum up sort of what the takeaway was. And I guess it's just that, Montoyo and the Blue Jays kind of understand that as Bo um, is playing in his first full major league season, there's probably going to be some ups and downs with his play at shortstop. And they're sort of willing to live with that a little bit. I think that you also have to, um, you have to walk a fine line. And actually I did a radio appearance earlier on the weekend and they asked this question and I thought it was, it kind of summed it up as the, the conversation around potentially moving off, uh, moving Kevin Biggio off of third base is a whole different conversation than moving Bo Bichette from shortstop. One mm-hmm. is just saying that our sort of super utility guy didn't really work as an everyday third baseman. That's okay because really the long-term sort of future for Calvin Biggio sort of looks like he'll be that super utility guy anyway. So saying that he maybe he's not an everyday third baseman, well, the, coming into the season really just looked like he was going to be filling in for that position this year because they didn't really have anything else. Bo Bichette moving on shortstop, that's a, that's a sort of, I don't want to maybe label it like a franchise altering decision, but it certainly is a, a somewhat career altering decision for a f- hopeful franchise player. Absolutely. You are, I, I, Kevin Biggio has moved a bunch of times. The Blue Jays have found people to do his job or have found, looked for places that he can add value doing the things that he does. So his value proposition is his ability to move. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, what I, when I said he wasn't the face of it is because by coincidence and by you know opportunity, Charlie Montoyo hit him in right field. I mean, not hit him, he's out there to do a job, but the pressure is off and they've, they're able to do that from time to time. Right. The opportunity is presented by the fact that there are injuries and, you know, there are injuries in the outfield task Hernandez is out. So on and so forth. You can't. And, and Dan Schulman made this point on the broadcast, uh, I think today on Sunday, which is you can't, once you move Bo Bichette from shortstop, he, you don't move him back. Like it's, that's not the way the defensive spectrum However, whatever iteration of it, depending on what year you first subscribed to baseball prospectus, 
you think about the baseball, the, the, the defensive spectrum, you only go in one, di- in one direction, you know, on one track on the defensive spectrum. And it's not as, it, you know, the chances of going from short to second back to short, you know, unless there's a good reason for it. And I think about like Javi Baez came up and Javier Baez played some second base. And then when there was an opportunity, he moved to shortstop. And then that's where he's thrived defensively. But it's, it's, it's hard to imagine, A, it's hard to imagine moving him in the middle of the season because he's never played second base before. And, and I don't think that would even really be fair. The Blue Jays kind of caught a, caught a break, so to speak, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. last year where they had the kind of second spring training COVID thing where they were like, oh, you've got two weeks to learn to at least practice in a zero-stake situation playing first base. The Blue Jays are a team that is, you know, whatever, a game or two under 500 right in the playoff mix and where they intend to be to just be like, Hey, learn how to play second base on the fly is, is going to be challenging. They do have a, a, have a valid stand in right there. But the thing that I've been saying, and I think that I can continue to say, and I don't know, like it's not going to happen anytime soon. He would have to be so terrible at shortstop, even worse than he's been to get moved off of there. Am I right? Like you, you, I don't sense any that's coming soon. Do you feel like there's a move coming anytime soon? No, I don't think I would be I would be entirely shocked if they did anything sort of drastic this soon. Can mm-hmm. they can they do little cover-ups? Um yes, of course. They did so on Sunday where they DH'd him for a day. Maybe it's to relieve some stress for a little bit or whatever it may be, get you off your feet, get you out of your head a little bit. If that was something that was um bothering him and you put Semi in there for a game, that's fine. Um, and then you have the off day. And so yeah, you can cover it up a little bit. So I wrote something over the uh I think it was after the Friday game. Mm-hmm. And essentially I just said you have like three three paths you the Blue Jays could take here. You stay the course, which is you know, it's keeping Cavan at third and keeping Bo at shortstop. That could be sort of, you know, you could um, twist that a little bit and say you can move Cavan a little bit, but mostly you keep Bo at shortstop. So staying the course is just status quo, essentially. You could shuffle things around, which, as we're saying, would be pretty drastic. You could put um, Espinal at third base a lot more, but that also requires some roster moves because um, you have Joe Panic on this roster. He's kind of the utility guy, and they're also a team, as we've said earlier in this podcast, that are relying on the bullpen a lot. So I think they need a nine-man bullpen for the entirety of the year, and they are a team right now that they're getting away with the number of pitchers they have right now and the extra. Um, I don't even know. I'm. I'm Maybe they don't actually have an extra position player or not, but whatever it is, it's just all the injuries are kind of mixing things up a little bit, and they really only have three starters on the roster right now, um, which is not going to continue. But anyway, so um, I don't know that they have room for Panic and Espinal is my point here. And Mm -hmm. then the other path, uh, essentially, um, is that you just play it by year, see how it goes, and then maybe at the trade deadline you look for something, maybe a Chris Bryant trade. Is that going to happen? I'm not sure. But if things... Um, got so dire at third base that they really needed a third baseman. Maybe they trade for a third baseman at the deadline, then they can move Cavan around. Maybe it helps um, Bichette a little bit. Maybe it takes some pressure off him having a a third baseman there that's more of a a regular everyday third baseman. I don't know, but Hmm. to your point uh, and to answer the question ultimately, no, I I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon just because, like I said, like this is not just – 
I understand with Semyon on the roster, it looks like, oh, just flip him. You got a shortstop right there. It's easy. How do you, how do you not figure that out? But it, it, it's not so much that the, me- the mechanics or the roster pieces aren't there to mix around like they are, but it's just what do you do to the psyche of Bo Bichette if whatever you're 20 games into his first major league season, or not his first major, first major league full season, and you move him off the position after this offseason, you basically gave him the ultimate vote of confidence when you signed Semyon and said he's a second baseman, not a shortstop. You gave him the ultimate pat on the head and say, don't worry, honey, he's a second <laughs> baseman, is what you did. I think that if it continues the way that it is, and I, I'm not sure what the latest numbers are, but I believe he's right now four runs below average, four outs below average in the early stages, doesn't mean that it can't be reversed. You know, uh, it definitely seemed like he's been fighting it on throws. You know, he's mm-hmm. just been, he's been, it's been in his head, again, to to diagnose from the sidelines, from the TV, Um it doesn't seem as natural. Doesn't seem to like flow. I feel like after the first week of the season, there were some there, these questions started, and then he really seemed like he was kind of loose. The second week, when they got to New York, and it was like, wasn't that? no. And the second week of the season, he looked better. And then now he's just had some like misplays and stuff. It's not to say that you can't improve as a defensive shortstop. You know, Marcus Simeon, I, I, if I remember correctly, made like forty errors one year when he 35. was with thirty-five errors in twenty fifteen. I looked it up recently because mm-hmm. after one of the games, Simeon talked, and um, I asked him specifically about getting over errors and, and working mm-hmm. through struggles. And and then I made that point on Twitter, and everyone liked that tweet a lot. That I had to turn off notifications because I was getting too many. But anyway, my whoa, point. Whoa. Flex on us. Oh, sorry. My verified account was blowing up. I had to, I had to shut it down. Only, only, only other verified people can get, can at me when I start to get too many. No, I just, I just mute, I just muted that conversation because I kept Mm -hmm. getting, Mm -hmm. I was, I was over that tweet. I moved on and other people (laughs) were still, anyway, the, the tweet was just that like you, you have to remember that Semyon, Made a lot of errors in his um, in his initial season as a shortstop, and the A's let him work it through, and then he became one of the better shortstops in the majors. Um, and so, it might just be like we might look back on this. Like, look, I mean, I, I think that Ross Atkins said in the off season, like, Bo, we think Bo Bichette could be a, a Gold Glove shortstop. I mean, what's he going to say? Is he going to exactly, be like, we exactly. think, we think Bob, Bob, Bob a bag of shit. And we heard this on clown on a podcast saying they should have moved him. Uh, they should move him <laughs> off shortstop. And he was saying that in October. So I don't know what we've been doing. We've just been out here wasting everybody's time. Uh, well, no, you're exa- right. Exactly. Like, of course, Ross is going to say that, but, but, but maybe Bob, like you said, he can reverse the uh, four outs um, under average. And yeah, maybe he can be an average shortstop and potentially you get through this year and then they reassess. But for them to pull the plug on him at shortstop, it would have to be a lot worse than this. Like I understand that it seems really frustrating when you watch him kind of boot those throws and, and people are worrying that, you know, Vlad is going to, his hand's going to be taken off and mm-hmm. he's going to break his hand because of those throws. But the one thing I will say is that watching Bobochette is for me where that concern comes from. 
about his ability to do that job long-term. I think about, you know, a guy who used to play just right beside Marcus Simeon, Josh Donaldson, when he was with the A's, he had a ton of throwing errors at third base. But Josh Donaldson had a cannon. He was just throwing it all over Hell's Half Acre. And in, in Oakland, there's lots of, A, there's lots of places to make mistakes. And also, especially when you're chasing around foul ground. When you see Bichette, I feel like the throws, like the arm strength is lacking. And, 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 and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe that's because of there's some tentativeness. And, and maybe that's something that he, can, that he can, you know, work to address. If Ryan Barucki can go from throwing like 92, <laughs> 93 to 97, like it's nothing, then maybe Bo Bichette can add some arm strength as well. Far be it from me. But I think that that's where some of the concern comes from. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like he's throwing it 10 rows deep or making Vlad jump up and, you know, diving all over the place. Everything's been, everything has been rushed. I know you, I've seen Mike Wilner on Twitter talk about how Bichette's clock is a little off right now. He doesn't, sometimes he does, he feels like he has less time than he has and he, and he is rushing things or not trusting his arm strength. I don't know. I think your point is, the point you made initially is a good one and it is time to wait and see. And I do think that we will have time to wait and see. There's no real reason to to rush to move him to have him learn a new position on the fly to say guess what you're not a shortstop anymore you're 22 23 uh, 23 yeah the other one's 22 um and be like you are you're you're a second baseman now which which is fine you can make piles of money and like ask Kevin Biggio's dad he did he didn't start at second base he was a catcher and then they moved him to short to center field mm-hmm. and then they moved him to second base so the path to the Hall of Fame is not straight, but neither are the throws. So that's why we're a little, a little, there's a little bit of concern in Blue Jays land. But if you haven't read Caitlin's story, I think you should do that. You should go and subscribe to The Athletic. You got to be a subscriber to read the stories. You should go to theathletic.com slash spin rate and sign up for a subscription. You can read everything that she writes. You can read everything that Blake Murphy writes about the Raptors. You can read everything Eric Kareen writes about the Raptors. You can read Myrtle and the whole squad on the Leafs. But subscribe to The Athletic. Read what Caitlin writes. Read what Ken Rosenthal, what Eno Saris, who was our guest in the midweek edition of Spin Rate. We had a good time talking about the new ball to the point where now I don't pay any attention to any exit velocity stuff anymore. I'm like, oh, it's bunk. It's all gone. It's all bunk now. The exit velocity doesn't mean anything. The ball's too light. It just flies around like a Super Bowl. Subscribe to The Athletic. Read all their good stuff. Read those stories that Eno wrote. Read the story that Caitlin wrote about Bo Bichette. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do that too. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Overcast or wherever else. You can give us a like, give us a review. To tell me that I'm not negative. I was reading reviews and I shouldn't do that, but that's good. I'm good. I got thick skin. Whatever. It's, we're out here having a good time. Maybe it's just compared to me, you seem negative. Maybe. It could be just that I'm terrible. Like there's, I don't know, with no worth as a human being. That's entirely possible. <laughs> I mean, maybe I know Iron Lung 69 has it on, uh, on on Apple Podcasts or wherever. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. Good times are coming for the Blue Jays because there are roster moves on the horizon. And there is a bit of a roster crunch, and it'll be interesting to see how this works out. George Springer wasn't able to join the team this weekend in Tampa Bay, which is a shame. We would love to see him play for the Blue Jays, not at the alternate site because no one could see that. But I believe Caitlin is going to tell me when uh, I'll stop. Caitlin, what is the plan? 
for George Springer. Don't let me talk. You talk. What's the plan with George Springer? Well, the plan with George Springer, it sounds like he is possibly going to play his Blue Jays debut finally on Tuesday when they are at home in Dunedin against the Washington Nationals. And I think Max Scherzer is starting that game on Tuesday. Is that right? Do you have it up? It is Scherzer on Tuesday. Yeah. So that will be a quite a test for Springer. Um, that's the first. Maybe if he's the leadoff guy, it's going to be the first major league pitch, pitcher he sees. Um, Since and he would have faced, well, I guess he, I guess they, they faced off in the 2019 series. And then they would have, then George Springer kept playing for the Astros last year, which still existed, but he didn't face Max Scherzer or the Blue Jays. But anyway, so George Springer, you think coming back Tuesday? Yeah, it sounds like Tuesday is the date. Um, he was playing in another simulation game on Sunday. And I guess if that went well, then it was happening at the same time as the game, I think, or happened mm. in the evening. So we didn't get an update on how it went. But assuming it went well, assuming he feels good on Monday, the off day, then he should be ready to play um, on Tuesday. I don't know. I don't remember if they specified whether if he's ready to play, he would play center field. I would assume that would be the goal. And then Teoscar Hernandez has also been, um, I guess, active. He's passed his COVID-19 clearance test so that he can go back and, and be around his teammates and, and that. And so I don't know that he'll be back quite on Tuesday. It sounds like it's more up in the air just because um, he was a little bit behind and he didn't, he wasn't able to do anything for 10 days while he was isolated. So could be a couple more games, but may, I would say that this week would be a target for him as well to be back. And yeah, I don't know if there's any other ones. So I'm going to ask you to put on your rosterbation hat okay. and tell me what you think is going to happen when those players need to be activated and join your Toronto Blue Jays on an everyday basis. Well, one Jonathan Davis could be going down mm -hmm. um, and then Santiago Espinal could also go down. And I don't know, that would probably be the two moves just because there's further pitching moves like Tanner Rourke went on the emergency family emergency list. And I mm -hmm. actually don't know. I assume there's no limit to that. Um, like I know that the paternity list is like three days, but I think this is different. It's probably like as long as you need or something. So I, we don't know what the situation is with him, whether it's going to be a long-term ab absence, but I'm just, I'm, I don't have the roster in front of me and I'm scared to, f I'm scared to play around with my computer because we know how finicky <laughs> it, it oh, can Inside be. baseball, inside baseball talk here. <laughs> Caitlin's yeah. computer is, has smoke coming out of its ears <laughs> almost all times. I think, you but, said it earlier that the Blue Jays are going to carry nine pitchers, should carry nine pitchers, and I don't think that they're nine. You'd, relief, I think you'd nine have to relievers. Be a, nine, nine relievers. Yeah. You'd have to be a fool, I think, to argue with that at this point. Well, they did from the get go, and if they were ever going to like carry eight eight relievers, it would have been at the very start of the season when presumably everyone is healthy. And at, still, at that point, I think they went with a nine man bullpen. Blue Jays are a team that's always going to use as many relievers as they can. I remember covering this team in like 2018 or whatever it was. And there wasn't like a limit on relievers and they had like 12 relievers at one point. Like it was just so many relievers like the blue Jays, they are going to, as they're not, they're, they're always going to sacrifice the extra bench player mm -hmm. for 
the extra pitcher. I, I'm sorry. I, I would be shocked if the Blue Jays ever have an eight-man bullpen. But that's the appeal of a guy like Kevin Biggio is that he can mm-hmm. be many of those many of those kind of utility guys. He can be the fifth outfielder and the sixth infielder or the starting third baseman and the occasional right fielder, depending on, on how things work out. So that's the appeal of having utility guys. And the Rays have lots, and they're the model from this respect. Um, you would prefer to, you know, have good players everywhere that you don't need to unseat, but that's a situation that the blue blue Jays are in. You know, I've been kind of going on about still, still thinking banging around my head about like, maybe are they better off the flat junior playing third um, and, and maybe Rowdy playing first base, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I am definitely of the mind. So if I had to pick about who it is that might be kind of left in the cold when the, when the musical chair stop, I think it might have to be Joe Panic at this point because the only thing that he does is hit left-handed. Right. And so then you're you're DFAing him essentially. Well, you're not essentially, that's what you're doing. Which is yeah. it, which is possible. Like it just it's not as like I I always go the safe route and and maybe this is wrong because we've talked about it on this on the podcast before is that the Blue Jays seem to have moved away from that a little bit right they haven't mm-hmm. been afraid to DFA guys they haven't been afraid to choose um you know DFA of Reese McGuire all that kind of stuff so maybe I am living in the past mm-hmm. a little bit and saying oh no the Blue Jays will option Santiago because he's got because mm-hmm. he's got options and they're gonna have panic because he's the intangibles guy I don't know like you're right like there's a point and I've thought about it well, I think the other la- layer to that is that because Panic is a veteran, I don't even think they can DFA him. They would have to outright him because I believe right. he could refuse the assignment. Yeah. Right. So then it's like he's instantly a free agent. There's not like sneak him through waivers and then keep him in the organization sort yeah. of thing. So, so if you are willing to part with Panic for nothing, it has to be for a good reason. The the, the the thing that works in that favor is that Santiago Espinal is so easy to love. Oh, my goodness. He plays a delightful uh, infield position, whichever one it might be. And he's, you know, running into a few uh, hits here and there right now, which, you know, maybe you're not a believer that that's going to happen uh, long term. But I am uh, I'm happy to to have a guy like Santiago Espinal. He is has a very batting uh, batting average on balls in play influenced uh, stat line right now. He has not he has walked zero times so far <laughs> this season but i think he only walked four times last year although his, i mean he only played i don't know how many games well there's an old adage that they used to say about, about ball players from the dominican they used to think was, was you can't walk off the island but santiago espinal his family moved from dominican republic he lived in new york he went to school he went to college in florida he's been all over uh i, I love watching him play he plays the hell out of third base when he's over there it is nice to have that for now as the Blue Jays are, I'm sure, not moved away from the idea of, like, Kevin Biggio is going to get lots of time at third base still. Mm-hmm. But the things that Joe Panic does, the thing about Joe Panic is Joe Panic hasn't walked out all this year either. Joe Panic is like, I'm, I'm a good Joe Panic season is he's going to have a 275, 275, 275 slash line, where it's like Joe Panic got 110 singles this year. Congratulations, Joe. Thank you very much for your service. But like, I don't, any hits left. He 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 played. He made some really nice plays at second base. I should say, so maybe maybe this is the the thing. Maybe this is to your point where you use then the options because it's the safe route. And Joe Panic hasn't like embarrassed himself or anything. And Santiago Espinal hasn't stood out so much that 
you're willing to part with Espinal or willing to part with Panic at the expense of making sure you keep Espinal in the fold. I'm just saying that I like Espinal a lot and I think it's fun to watch him and he's good to have around too. It, it's probably a different conversation in July or August if you've sort of used up <laughs> most of what you're going to get from Joe Panic, And then maybe at that point, uh, like a July situation mm-hmm. where Espinal was sort of playing his way on the team, maybe then. But or, of course, with all the injuries and stuff, maybe the Blue Jays don't want to just let Panic walk away because then if Espinal was to get injured or another player was to get injured, then they have Espinal. And they, they don't, I don't know how much the depth chart is, right? In terms of infielders. And if you are in June and July and Joe Panic is still proving himself to be a, a, a worthwhile, you know, p- person occupying a roster spot, that's the kind of guy that you can like Eric Sogar. You can move him to a, I'm going to say another contender um, <laughs> if you're the Blue Jays because because you need that roster spot because you're going to make, you know, the Matt Chapman trade. So you need to move some pieces and parts around. So you got to, or Chris Bryant, like you said, you said you wanted them to trade for Chris Bryant. So, okay. If you insist, Caitlin. <laughs> well, I would much rather. I don't know. I I got my eye on my eye on Joey Gallo. Uh, Joey Gallo mm-hmm. hasn't played a lot of third base recently, but uh, he's such a freak. I would love for him to be on the Blue Jays. Get him away from Texas. Get the stink off of him. I was I was talking with the Zoobs before about creating all these like Texas-based trades to acquire Joey Gallo. Sign me up. I want it. I want it to happen. But in the meantime. The Blue Jays have some interleague games. As you mentioned off the top, they're going to be getting all that the Nationals have to offer in terms of Max Scherzer. Uh, speaking of Max Scherzer, speaking of rosturbation, speaking of trade bullshit, Blue Jays fans have got their eye on Max Scherzer, which is um, a nice... You could do worse <laughs> when it comes to a trade deadline acquisition. Oh. My thing, and I t- tweeted about today, I don't think the Nationals should trade him not for anything. Like you'd have I, yeah. to be like, they're not great this year. The Nats, they're missing Juan Soto right now. They're missing Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin dealing with the Biden administration, t- taking a bit of a toll on him on the mound, but you don't, I don't think you trade Max Scherzer. He's, he's like, he is the probably he and Strasburg are like now officially franchise icons. It's like, it's like the Kyle Lowry move, right? It is. It is like, let him stay. Who cares? Oh no, we miss out on Willie Calhoun or some other like dog shit guy that you might get a big league ready or someone who's further away. No, keep him. Sign him again. If he wants to stay, if he says, if, if Max Scherzer comes to, 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 if you're the Nats and Max Scherzer says, if you guys can make a good deal and you can let me go, you know, see if I can win another ring, then do it. But if Max Scherzer doesn't say that, no, unless somebody's like, we'll trade you Wander Franco for, for Max Scherzer. Then you say, I would say no. I'd say, we're good. Max, let's see if we can get something done. Keep you here until the end of your career. That's what I would do. That doesn't mean that the Blue Jays aren't in a position to like acquire him. They should say no. But I would be very, very surprised. But he's he's to the point now where even though he's a bit of a goof, um, he's so good. And like he it's like a, we should appreciate this guy. He's that he's that years, that many years old. Appreciate mm-hmm. Max Scherzer. Appreciate watching him mow people down like a maniac because He'll remember it when he goes to the Hall of Fame in like 15 years. Less, 12. I'd say 12. First. And what else? And, and then who do they, and then, then they, who do they, uh, after after the Nationals come to town, the Blue Jays uh, will see Alex Anthopoulos, correct? Yeah, Atlanta Braves. The I don't know what the record is now. I don't know if they have the, a 500 record or not. The Atlanta Braves played two games today. 
against the Arizona Diamondbacks. They acquired in total in those two games, one hit. Yeah, they got, they got no hit by Bumgarner, which is not an official no hit because it's seven innings, which is You know what that is? That's garbage. <laughs> if it counts, if the if the Arizona Diamondbacks win, the, they're not going to win the division. If they come in and they win the wild card by one game, and it's because they won two games in April against Atlanta, those games count. Give the man his no hitter. I agree. If you're gonna, if all the other stats count for these seven inning games, why, why isn't the no hitter? The good thing is that it happened to Madison Bumgarner, who I feel confident in saying does not care about anything at all. Madison Bumgarner is like just biding his time, cashing checks, waiting for his his rodeo career to take off as soon as he's done with baseball. He's done it all. Does he, he doesn't need. Hmm? Does does he have a no a, a regulation no hitter? Has no. he have it? No. Hmm. No. And uh, Tim Lincecum threw two. Uh, Matt Kane threw one. Did he throw a perfect game or a no hitter? Matt Kane was one or the other. And then there was a there was another guy a couple of years ago for the for the Giants. Like a he was up and gone. He threw a no hitter in New York for the Giants, but not Madison Bumgarner. Hmm. He might as well have no hit. He threw give it was it one hit to uh, when he came in. I don't know Madison. That, that I'll never forget. Other than the exact details, uh, the 2014, <laughs> all the different, all of, all the ways that that Bumgarner pitched, especially against he Madison Bumgarner was ahead of the game in terms of like high fastballs. 2014, when the last time the Giants won the World Series, he blew the Royals away by throwing like belly high fastballs at 93 miles an hour. They did not know what to do with themselves. The whole team was low ball hitters. He just came in, boom, 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 belly high, off he went. Came out of the bullpen on one day's rest, pitched. Was it I remember that. It was ridiculous. So good. And then he came out again. It was like, oh, the whole 2015. It was like, oh, the myth. The, now he's got this post postseason uh, 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 what's the mystique, <laughs> postseason mystique. And he like, he did the same thing. He shoved. Was it against the, might have been against the Pirates? Or against the, maybe against the Mets? I don't know. He came out in a, in a wild card playing game and did the same thing. Pitched a complete game. Ran everybody over. Even though he's a bit of a rat ass. But anyway, Atlanta comes to town. They're struggling a little bit. They've got a lot of injuries, but they still have big Ron Acuna. Mm-hmm. They still have Ozzy Albies. They still got a lot of talent. And then, of course, uh, Alex Anthopoulos will be there. And um, our favorite Canadian son, Freddie Freeman. Oh, great Canadian Freddie Freeman. Future Blue Jay, great Canadian Freddie Freeman. I have, I've had people in my DMs about Joey Votto again. It's like 2013. <laughs> people will be like, Jay's got to trade for Joey Votto. I'm like, oh, I think that ship sailed. Yeah, I don't think he, thing. I don't think he'd want to come here. I don't think he wants the attention here. He likes I don't Cincinnati. Think he wants to leave. Yeah. He come he lives here in the winter like a maniac. Yeah, El Tobago. He lives you see him all over and his I, I know Jonas saw him one time walking his some gigantic dog. And of course you read the Joey Mapo story. Yep. Oh my god, the king. But I same thing with if I'm the Reds now, I don't trade Joey Votto. He's Joey Votto. Let him retire a red. Who cares? I you know, we, I think stuff like this is to me, I'm, I'm old now. I'm soft. I must like, you know, all those two years ago, we had like, so like the, the final game and Joe Maurer caught for the twins. Mm-hmm. I was a basket case, an absolute <laughs> basket case. Ah, oh, I love all that stuff. So let, let Joey Votto have one of those. Let Max Scherzer have one of those. Everybody, Clayton Kershaw, never leave the, the, the Dodgers forever. Everybody, if you're, if you're stuck one place, you're there for now. You're there for good. Now let's just. We're riding vibes. It's like just pure vibing out. That's it. Just good vibes only. I'm the vibe consultant for Major League Baseball now. I'm just self-appointed. 
<laughs> Caitlin, what do you have coming up for the people this week? Anything, anything on tap or just like, uh, you know, you're, are you riding the wave as well? You're vibing. Well, on, on the, um, <laughs> the athletics vibe consultant coming up for me this week is that I am doing the power rankings this week, um, for, <laughs> for MLB. I'm laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm not laughing at you, except that I'm laughing at you. Power rankings are like the most ignorant task. It's a hard job. Mm-hmm. Everyone should go and read them because whoever it is that does the power rankings puts way more time into it than you could ever on any anything. Power rankings are a they're a pig. They're a real laborious pig. I'll tell you why people should read them when they come out on Monday. Okay. Because it is my birthday on Monday. Oh! As you're listening to this podcast. So everyone give me a nice birthday present by clicking on those power rankings. Give me that nice, uh, awesome review at the bottom. Give me a nice comment. Drown out those comments that tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Do that for me. Or maybe, what about this? Treat it like, you know, doing the dishes. Do it so badly that you're not asked to do it again. <laughs> so everyone can like not click the link. And if they do, they can give you the frowny face and leave a bad comment. No, no, is that not a good idea? I think that I'm already signed up for them on a rotating basis this year. So Okay, then do the other thing. Don't go in and don't do hit the frowny face. Hit the hit the awesome face. Leave an awesome comment. Agree that who who's number one? You got number one in mind, or is this too spoilery? Oh, it's I mean, I am sure people could guess. But mm-hmm. it'll be out on as people are listening to this, as they can click and see. And actually, I should say I, I shouldn't take all the credit because this year we're splitting it up between the AL and the NL. So I actually am only handling handling the AL side, and then um, our Diamondbacks writer Zach Buchanan is doing the NL side. So you can be mad at both of us if you disagree. I am just handling the American League teams, but still like it as much as possible, nonetheless. So Zach does Dodgers plus 14 and you are um, having to like do the acts, the hard work of figuring out who's number one. Well, it's all one through 30. Oh, so you got fight. Well, <laughs> I'm going to get in the nitty gritty here. I mean, all the writers vote. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So What's- every week, all the MLB staff at the athletic, this is a really behind the scenes um, on how so we do the power So this is all rankings. done through Slack? It's all done through a very organized and color-coded Google Sheet. And so everybody has a row and every writer and every editor on MLB staff um, do their rankings and then it averages out and then that's how we get the totals and, and the actual like one through 30 ranking the people. Yeah. So the, the writers like me and Zach, we only just had one vote each in this. So mm. we're not deciding who are the teams that are um, ranked where they are. We're just writing the blurbs that go with the, how the votes um, ended up. So, so you wrote it, you voted for the blue Jays. How brave of you. I think that was a very brave thing to do. I didn't. What do you mean? I voted for the blue Jays. <laughs> You voted the Blue Jays number one, number no. one top of the power rankings. I did not. I did not. Um, the team, know. the team that we just spent forty-five minutes deciding whether or not the start their their ace is going to be able to make his next start, whether or not their twenty-three-year-old uh, you know cornerstone shortstop is going to have to move to second base, and what they're going to do with the twenty-fifth and twenty-sixth men on the roster. 
you know, in the coming week. But their bullpen. But the number one bullpen in all the land. (laughs) Exactly. Number one bullpen. You can talk all you want. You can't not (laughs) put a price on that. Caitlin, thank you so much. I very much enjoy these Sunday shows. I hope you do. And I hope everyone who's listening enjoys the Sunday shows as well. We'll be back in the middle of the week with another episode of Spin Rate. But until that time, her name is Caitlin McGrath. My name is Drew Fairservice. Thank you so much for listening to Spin Rate on The Athletic.